Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. Hey, this is a special episode. I'm. It's actually a Next Level Method podcast episode. And if you haven't been paying attention or if I haven't told you, um, it's a new venture that I'm a new podcast that I'm a part of with entrepreneur Matt Lilly. And Next Level Method is all about getting to the next level, just like it says. And we focus on four core pillars on energy, elimination, relationships, and purpose. And we know what it's like to feel stuck, to be in transition, to feel like you're living under your fullest potential. You have all the material material success in the world, or you still end up, feel up, end up feeling empty. And um, Matt and I came together about six months ago. He had been starting this Next Level Method, and he asked me to start a podcast. And it's been a tremendous amount of fun. And part of that deal, I said, well, I would expose Next Level Method to the Dose of Leadership audience, and so that's what this episode is. And uh, again, go to nextlevelmethod.com. You can learn more. You can subscribe to the podcast there. You can find the podcast in all your favorite podcast applications. And it's just a little bit different than Dose of Leadership. It really gets into the mind-body-soul aspect of this. And today's guest is Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a communication pathologist, a cognitive neuroscientist whose passion is to help people see the power of the mind, to change the brain, and find their purpose in life. She's the author of Switch On Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, The Perfect You, and Think, Learn, Succeed. And her latest book, which we talk about here in this episode, is Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. Her videos, her podcasts, or TV episodes have reached millions globally. She currently teaches at various academic, medical, and neuroscience conferences, as well as in the churches around the world. And in Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Dr. Leaf tackles, tackles toxic thoughts, depression, anxiety, all that mental mess that you've heard me talk about here on Dose of Leadership, but she really deep dives in this, and it helps us become, again, that composed force in a chaotic world. In this episode, she talks about how we shouldn't settle into this mental mess as it's just our new normal. She discusses that there's hope and help available to all of us, and the road to healthier thoughts and peak happiness may actually be shorter than you think. And she talks about her proven five-step plan and how we can eliminate the root of anxiety, depression, and intrusive thoughts in life so that we can get on with it and experience dramatically improved mental and physical health. It's a really deep conversation. I encourage you to grab a notepad and a pen. There's a lot to learn here. I know I did in this one. It's a great conversation, again, with Dr. Caroline Lee. Again, go, go to nextlevelmethod.com and learn more. I'm very proud of being a part of this. I feel very fortunate and privileged that Matt Lilly has asked me to uh, do this podcast with him. So you're going to hear his voice in there as well. And again, I'm playing this here on Dose of Leadership just for the next couple of months, just so people can get aware of Next Level Method as a kind of a dual promotion. So let's get on with this great conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf here on Dose of Leadership as a Next Level Method podcast. Well, Dr. Caroline Leaf, so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be with you. Thank you. You know, when I was listening to your to your show and reading some of your books uh, as preparing for this, I, I really like your the way 
you talk about mental health. It's a fresh perspective. You talk about how mental health kind of has this, I don't know, negative connotation mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and I have a daughter that has struggled with mental health and you're right. And there's this kind of stigma around it. And when I was reading your stuff and listening to your stuff, there's kind of this, this, this fresh take on it. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. And I think it's just so fundamentally important. I've been in the field for f nearly 40 years now and, and I started out and I've years ago and developing theories on and working with people with traumatic brain injuries and all kinds of neurological problems as well as, as battling with traumas and that kind of thing. And I watched the trajectory of change over the last 40 years. And it's gone from us looking at the person as a whole person in life, experiencing adverse circumstances, to looking at just the symptoms and then giving a diagnosis. And that has been a very, very unhealthy change. And we see that reflected in a lot of different research statistics. And one that I talk about in my most recent book is the mental health. There was a huge study done, population study done, where they saw that there was a trend starting to change in the 90s, a very kind of frightening trend because for years we've been living longer. But this trend started reversing and it was picked up and it was studied and followed. And by the mid 2000s, it was picked up that there's a definite reversal of trends. In other words, instead of people living longer, they are dying younger. Yeah. And by some about eight to 15 years. And if you have a mental health diagnosis or you're on and combine that with the, the gold standard, which is generally medication, you can chop off up to 25 years off your lifespan. And, you know, they're calling it death of despair. They're not speaking about it enough in the, in the public arena because they don't quite know what to make of it. Because if you track back why, they've actually shown that it's happening from preventable lifestyle issues. And if you take lifestyle, that's a human in life dealing with life. And life is filled with challenging issues, as we all know. Besides the pandemic, there's just the day-to-day -day stuff that hits all of us, plus the traumas from the past, the traumas that are going to come in the future. So just being a human and being alive is difficult. And we we have got to focus a lot more on helping people manage that process. And obviously, alongside that is the whole diet, exercise, all those things that we know that we should be managing. And so what the research is basically showing and what my research has also shown is that if we don't manage our minds, if we don't understand what our minds are and we don't manage our minds, we don't manage our lifestyles. And when our lifestyles are a mess and our minds are a mess, our brain and our body are a mess because these are all mind, brain and body are separate but interlinked. And from our mind, brain and body, we make our lifestyle decisions. And people are dying from preventable lifestyle diseases. So people are dying from things that could be prevented. Right. And how do you prevent it? You go back to the basics. You start looking and addressing that first cause and first cause is mind. So research shows that when you start addressing mind, you start looking at the concept of mental health. And so then mental health has got this, it's almost like mental health is in this box, in this scary place out there that, right. phew, that's hopefully it doesn't touch me. Meanwhile, mental health, if you're human and you're alive, mental health is part of your narrative. In other words, all of us are battling with mental health issues, regardless of who you are, where you live, obviously to different degrees in different parts of the world and different stages of your life and different things that we all go through. But mental health is always being challenged because mental health is mind and mind is how we experience life. So this is why I talk about uh, my podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. My latest book is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. And why I talk all the time about the narrative of mental health should be 
it's okay to make a mess. It is totally normal to be a human and feel that your mental, your mind is a mental mess because that is normal and part of being a human because of the adverse circumstances. So level the playing fields. It doesn't matter who you are, what level of leadership or leadership you are or aren't in, what you do. You're going to battle with your mind because as you both just said to me prior to starting, both of you've got family members in extreme states of mental who've had or had suffered from extreme states of mental distress. But it doesn't still doesn't make them other. It doesn't make them that they've got a brain disease or that there's something right. weird about them. It just means that there's something that was going on in their life or has been going on for a period of time or there's undealt with stuff and they have responded. And generally we respond in a sort of in in a in a what I would call the minus four plus four range. If you think of a number line or a or a or a scale. But sometimes life can and, and we can kind of cope around, you know, our day be moving between minus four plus four just as our average numbers. But sometimes things accumulate and we start shifting down to minus five, minus six. And if we don't deal with the, the, the causes of why we are becoming more extreme in battling with our mind or the mess is not being cleaned up, it's just getting worse, like a house that's not being cleaned or teeth that aren't being cleaned or something like that. Then when that happens, we start getting into extreme, extreme levels of distress. But it still doesn't mean we have a brain disease. Mm -hmm. It still doesn't mean that there's something weird about you or that you should be isolated or that you're dangerous or that you should be locked up or forced to have forced treatment on you. And that's mm -hmm. what's happening. The narrative is, oh my gosh, don't say that you feel mentally ill, Ill healthy because people think you're crazy or they won't give you a job or they're going to look at you differently at work or, you know, you're going to, if you say you've got suicidal ideation, which 95% of the population battles with oh gosh if you say that suddenly now you're going to get forced in, in a bit forced into psychiatric treatment and that's so scary and you know so it's become a very scary thing that it shouldn't be so my objective is to say listen mental health affects all of us it's okay to be a mess in fact our brain our psycho neurobiology our mind brain body connection is all designed to actually manage that mess mm -hmm. but that's the thing is who's teaching us how to manage the mess there's so much emphasis on the physical brain and body and and physical things that you can do like you know the eating and the diet which are and exercise which are vital I teach on those but it's everything's got to be labeled around something physical there's something wrong with this part or that part versus why why isn't it okay just to say listen I'm battling with my mind mm -hmm. my mind is I'm battling with this and, and my mind I'm battling with my mind because my mind is how I experience life and at the moment I'm going through X Y and Z maybe loss in COVID finances death of a loved one maybe you sick yourself and you've got the side effects of long COVID or or there's trauma from childhood that has been triggered by the isolation in COVID. Who knows? It's, it's, it's such a unique thing for every individual. So my hope is to help people to really say, see that if you're battling with depression, it doesn't mean you have a brain disease. If you've had the label of bipolar or schizophrenia, all those scary labels, it doesn't mean you have a brain disease like you have cancer in your body. What it means is that you have an extremely um, severe um, warning signal that is going on in your life telling you that this, that try to make you aware of an issue that's going on in your life that you need to address. But that's not who you are. That is who you have become because of. Mm -hmm. So you can't actually be depression. You can, you can't can't have depression. I mean, that's the, also a huge misnomer. You can't have anxiety. You can't have depression because depression and anxiety are emotions. Cancer is an actual physical thing. You can have cancer. You can have diabetes.
diabetes. You can have an autoimmune issue or cardiovascular issue, but you can't have depression. You can't have um, anxiety because what they are is they emotional warning signals. Doesn't mean that they're not important. They don't need a disease label to validate them. In themselves, depression without depression is, is is an extreme warning signal saying that your mind, which drives everything in your brain and your body anyway, is not coping. So if you don't pay attention, then your brain and body are going to suffer. So it's massively important that we pay attention to the depression, emotion of depression as a messenger, as a warning signal to the emotion of anxiety, as a warning signal, as a messenger to the the state of, dis, um, of, of hallucinating or disassociation and all those very extreme states, hearing voices. Those are all messengers telling us a very important, loud, gonging bell warning signal to become a thought detective to say okay this is not who i am but this is showing up as a pattern in my life and there is a reason i am experiencing depression because of versus i am depression so that's kind of a big synopsis that maybe yeah. you want mm-hmm. to i can go in many directions with that oh, well, but that's well, maybe a good foundation that yeah, you can unpack I think, I think that's a great foundation and i guess just just a question that pops up into my mind <laughs> um is okay so you know i think post-covid there's a, you know, we're dealing with a lot of, I know I've gone through my own mental stresses and I've kind of went from kind of more of an extrovert to more of an introvert during that period of time. And it seems like I'm staying there. I'm staying a little bit more reclusive or a little, little less um, socially active than I used to be as far as going out and doing things. Um, but if somebody's so somebody's listening to us and they're like, yeah, I'm struggling with this, you know, depression, I'm struggling with suicidal thoughts or whatever, whatever part of that mental health uh uh, issue that they're that we're struggling with then what what is next i guess what is the um you're the expert right so what 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 uh what can we do to 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 improve that situation a, a really important question and an excellent question the first thing is to give yourself permission to feel that mm-hmm. and to tell yourself it's okay to be a mess because if you've gone through whatever you've gone through it's a totally normal reaction to feel depression if you suddenly from going from an extrovert to an introvert and you're feeling like initially like you know this is awful and just today over over lunch my my I've got four kids and three of them work for me and you were just one of them is my producer and we were just chatting when you were taking a quick break for lunch and um, we had taken our puppies to a the park where we went so much during COVID and we have not been able to go back there again because it had so many negative things, even though it's a beautiful park associated with it. And we, but we went back a couple of times this week and I was telling my daughter and she was just saying, I can't go back there because of COVID and that association. And, and it just struck me as, you know, that's, and I, as we, when we went to the park, first time my husband and I with our little puppies, there was that jolt, that reaction. And that's totally normal. That doesn't mean I've got a mental illness. That doesn't mean my daughter has a mental illness. It doesn't mean it's a completely normal reaction. We, for the, we, the only place we could get out over that time was to go to this park and otherwise we were inside. So there was all, it wasn't the park. It was all the associations. Mm-hmm. It was a whole experience. It was the whole, whole experience that had been processed by the mind into the brain and the body and the mind. And, and that needs explaining. What I've just said needs to be unpacked, and we can unpack that in a moment. But it, it's a reality. There was a change in our brain and in everyone's brains as they've gone through COVID, through the pandemic, how, however you've experienced it in the multiplicity of ways that it has been experienced. And that's become part of us. And it, it's not, wasn't the greatest of times. So yes, there's going to be all these, these reactions that makes me feel a bit anxious. It makes me feel a little bit depressed. It makes me think, oh my gosh, that was actually a traumatic experience. That doesn't mean you have a brain disease. 
disease. It doesn't mean that you're mentally unhealthy. It actually means that you're pretty mentally healthy because you can actually say, hey, I'm okay with this. I'm a mess because of this is how it affected me. And here's the key. When you ask, what do you do about this? First step is to accept that you're, that you're a mess. Recognize that that's not who you are, but you're showing up because of. And therefore, the next thing then is, how do I manage it? Because messiness is a human part of life. It's so normal. Our brain and body, our neurophysiology, our neuropsychoneurophysiology are designed for us to make it, to, to, to be messy, but we're not designed to stay messy. And that's the key. We're designed to make the mess, then repair the mess and grow from it. So we very, um, we, 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 which means that we have actually got a lot of agency and a lot of autonomy. And we actually, if we understand this concept, we can feel very empowered to, to feel a, a sense of peace in the midst of whatever chaos you're facing. It doesn't mean the chaos is going to go away, but with mind, understanding the concept of mind management and mind and the difference between the mind and the brain and the body, you can give yourself permission to feel that mess, to own that mess in, in terms of not only in terms of keeping, but, but only in terms of saying, this is okay. I feel like this. I'm, I feel like screaming. I feel like crying. I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I'm so irritated. What? Get it out. Own it. And then don't just stay there. Then what are you going to do about that? And that's key. And this concept of, I feel these emotions and I feel this. And that's not bad. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a broken person. It just makes you a very normal person. A very normal person who's making this mess because of whatever, whatever trigger in your life at that moment. But what are you going to do about it? And the what are you going to do about it is really a huge part of the work I've done. It's it's okay to make a mess and the what do you do about it part. And those two work together. And this is very freeing and very hopeful. So if we so just to kind of sort of summarize this and I can go into a little bit more detail about the mind brain. But if you go to dinner with a group of friends and you are, and you turn up and you sit down and maybe the last one at the table and you say, Oh my gosh, I went to the psychiatrist today because I'm really battling and they've given me this diagnosis of bipolar and mood disorder and this and they've given all these medications. And you know that I'm, I'm battling with, you know, the, and you start giving all these weird, you know, these terms that are so brain oriented and, and scary because we all have had so much scariness associated with them about, you know, crazy person. And the people at the table naturally are going to pull back. They're going to start questioning in their mind. Do I want to still be friends? Is this person safe to leave my child with? Can I even ask them to look after my, to pet sit for me? Do I even want them working for me? You know, that kind of, whatever goes through your head. But now cancel that scenario and let's do that again. You're at the dinner table, your friend arrives late, they sit down and you can see they've been like, they really worked up and they sit down and they just say, Hey, I, I need to talk. This and this and this happened. I lost this one and that happened and this happened at work and this is going on and it's been going on for a while. And in other words, you tell your story. You talk about what is going on in your life, the narrative. You, you start talking through that this is why I've been maybe a bit difficult lately and I haven't been as friendly or I haven't reached out as much or I haven't been as, you know, communicating as well at work or as creative in our meetings, whatever. But this is why this is going on in my life. When you do the latter, everyone will lean in and everyone will say, oh gosh, I'm really sorry that that happened to you and how can we help? And hey, you know what? I've also gone through stuff and I, and thank you for sharing and people start sharing and that is healthy. That's mental health. That's where we can get the support from each other. Now you are both in leadership and you're leading people. 3% of leaders only are talking about mental health. 3%. That means that 97% of people in leadership positions are pretending everything's okay. Nothing's ever always okay. And that is okay if nothing's okay, because that really is very normal. 
what's not normal is pretending. And that's what we've done for too long. And then we pretend and then we break. And then we get a diagnosis and then we get the diagnosis and all the preventable you know, the potential for shorter lifespan, et cetera, et cetera, start setting into your life. And that's really what I want to try and prevent. So it's really us as humans recognizing the need for, for connection, the need for saying it's okay to be a mess and cleaning it up. Yeah, I like that a lot. It really resonates with me because I've, I've said all along, I think that, or I've come to believe, particularly the last decade, that the fear, the anxiety, all the stuff that we've, I think, Externally, we think that's a sign of weakness that we feel those things. Mm -hmm. And I think having the fear, having the anxiety, those are great barometers. They can be great gifts. And that's what I'm hearing when you're talking exactly. about this. That this is actually a gift, a barometer on, on what I should do. I love how you, what I'm sensing or what I'm hearing is that we just need to embrace this. This is normal. I agree with that. I think that we, there's a stigma that we think that, again, feeling anxious having fearful thoughts, uh, being depressed are signs of weaknesses. And I just don't think that's the case at all. And to your point, it's, it's your body telling you, you know, it's giving you a gift. It, it, it's just a different way. To, it's a mind shift way to look at it. I mean, that's, it's that's, a total mind shift and mm -hmm. it is a total, it's actually how things were perceived many years ago. If go back into sort of ancient civilizations and, and forward, fast forward to sort of early scientific times. As soon as we got very sciencey, we started changing that and people, yeah. not, the mental health has always been badly handled. There's only been very few periods in history where it has been handled well, but we really are at a pinnacle where we are facing, um, like, for example, Gen Z is the most medicated generation and are facing the shortest lifespans in for for in yeah, decades. It, it doesn't seem and like that's it's crazy. Better. It doesn't seem like it's any better. No, it's it not like better. It's it's, and that's it is worse. And that's that's the thing. It is worse. The whole narrative of it being a disease, which was supposed to help people manage it better and to give more acceptance, has made it worse. And people say, well, if you've got a broken ankle, you or you break your arm or you have diabetes, you're not shy to go and get that fixed and go and sort that out. So therefore make mental health the same way and then you don't feel but you see you can't it's not the same rule because your physical a physical damage to your body is a very, very different concept to physical to, to the mental pain of dealing with the traumas of life. They and, and even though your mind works through your brain, your mind shows up in your brain, your mind affects your brain because your mind drives your brain. Without your mind, your brain is going to disintegrate. Your body disintegrates. Your mind is your driving force. It's first cause. So with your mind, you experience and with your mind brain connection, you you basically build your experience into the physical. And then once you have that mind physical connection, you can then express it. So you live life. And that process is something that we can direct. And, and that process is happening all day long. And that process is showing up in different ways based on the experiences we're having. So when it's a happy experience and a great conversation like this or a great meal with a loved one, show, that's a great thing. You're processing healthy thought patterns are built in neural wiring, et cetera, good gene effects on your gene code and right down to the level of your DNA. And then you express this in a healthy way. But if it's not a healthy, if it's an unhealthy experience, a trauma of sorts, the opposite happens. So to go to your point about it being a gift, anxiety and depression are exactly that. They are messengers. They are gifts because they are your mind, brain, and body, your psychoneurobiology 
telling you, pay attention. This is not who you are. This is who you've become because of. Pay attention. Become a thought detective. See these as helpful messengers. Embrace process and reconceptualize. And I talk about that in my book and in my app and in all my work. You've got to embrace. You've got to see these as helpful messengers. So what I showed in my research and what other studies have shown as well, and a recent one um, came out of Tokyo at, and Texas University, interesting combination. Um, and they say, they show, and my work and, and many studies, but these two particular studies show that if you look at that depression and that anxiety and that hallucination and that anger and that frustration, all the emotions, if you see them, every single one of them, the, the, the so-called positive and negative ones, all of them, all as messengers, as helpful messengers, immediately your resilience in your brain and body change. So what that translates to is that there's around about 1,400 neurophysiological responses going on in your brain and body at any one moment. It's actually more, but kind of major ones. And if you are saying, oh my gosh, this depression I've got, I keep having a day off today, there's something wrong, I need to go to the doctor, I've got a diagnose, I've got another disease, I've got something else wrong with me. When you do that, you actually shift your body to work against you because you are ignoring that as a good message. And this is not a blame, this is people don't know this. Um, but you are actually changing your neurophysiology in that instant that you think like that to one of those 1400 working against you. What does that look like? For example, the blood vessels around your heart will constrict and that means that you'll have less blood flow to your brain and less oxygen to your brain, especially the front part of your brain. And you need a lot of blood flow and oxygen here to be able to make good decisions, to be able to be creative, to be able to not be impulsive, to have good executive functions. So if that drops off, my mind can't use my brain as well. It's like a computer that's not charged properly or that's slightly broken. You can't use it properly. So your mind needs to use an efficient brain. So therefore, if I rather say, okay, I am depressed. There's a pattern of depression. I'm feeling this depression. And, and if you unpack it, there's anxiety. If you unpack it, there's panic attacks. If you unpack it more, there's frustration. There's tremendous anger. That's all okay. I don't, I'm not frightened by those. I'm not threatened by those. They're a gift. They're a message. They're packed full of message. As soon as I do that, I then start looking at my behaviors and say, oh, wow, look at this. Is how I'm, I'm more withdrawn. I'm more this. I'm blessed, whatever. And look at your perspective. Look at your physical signals in your body. Oh, I've had a lot more GI symptoms lately. Or I keep getting these heart palpitations and I'm waking up with incredible pain in my heart. And suddenly you start becoming analytical and accepting and embracing in order to understand. And that shifts 1400 neurophysiological responses to work for you instead of against you. So now, instead of the blood vessels constricting around your heart, they'll dilate. Now you've got more blood flow and oxygen to your brain. So now you have increased executive functions, increased cognitive fluency, increased clarity of thought. And when you've got that kind of level of, of healthy brain flow, you're going to operate much more wisely. You're going to make good decisions and you're going to be able to kind of solve your way through whatever it is that you're facing. And that's the shift that we've got to bring in. We've got to bring it, make it as normal as what I'm saying. We've got to treat everything like that. And obviously the more extreme things need more support. So I'm advocate for therapy and coaching and counseling and support. And there'll be periods in your time where you need a tremendous amount of support. And then other periods in your time and in your life where you need, don't need, we always need support, but maybe it's a little bit less and all of that's okay. And that goes with men. I mean, I talk to so many men. I interview so many men. I'm interviewed by so many men. And the whole toxic masculinity and the whole thing of men not being able to show the emotions because it's not masculine or it's not leadership or it's not, you know, it's, 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 as you say, there's shame attached to it. That is so wrong. It's so 
normal and brave to show emotions. It's so important for your health. You keep those emotions suppressed. They're volcanic in nature. They, if they, they are there to be addressed, not to be suppressed. Otherwise they explode. And that's why people drop down dead in their prime or die younger or, you know, their life falls apart and they put on a smile, but actually behind, there's a lot of cracks behind the smile and things start falling apart. What do you say to the devil's advocate of like, well, there's a chemical imbalance here. I mean, surely some mental health has been linked to chemical imbalances, but it seems like that seems to be the go-to. We want to go to a pill. Again, I'm, I'm not an expert of this, but I'm just speaking from my own experience with my daughter as she was growing up. And she was diagnosed, just so that you know, um, she had a mild form of Tourette's even from when she was a little kid. You know, she's probably on the spectrum of... of I mean, she's very functional, very, very intelligent, yeah. but probably functionally autistic. Um, high, it, high functioning autism. Yeah. And she's, but man, it's just like, it seemed like every year she's taking some, something different. And I just don't, you know, and now she's 22. Mm. And I just don't know how, how, again, I don't know how much of it was damaging, how much of it was helpful. I know that when she was little, and she took Stratera, for example, and she had she used to go into these rages. I mean, ra these weren't temper tantrums; these were rages, right? And when she took Stratera, this was when we finally relented, and she's had all these things, and she had ticks, she had all these things, you know, Tourette's, and it helped. Yeah, it helped. But it was just as she went through hormonal changes and puberty and everything else. I mean, you you were just constantly this. It was just this cocktail, and I just never mm -hmm. I never knew how effective it was. And I know you don't know the answer to that, but my point of what I was trying to get at was, yeah. I was always hearing, well, there's something, you know, I had psychiatrists telling us, well, you know, you'd go to the doctor if you broke your ankle, you know, that was what one of the psychiatrists was telling, me. you know, why, why is it a big deal to go yeah. here? And then next thing I you know, she's on another regimen and it was just, it was constant. And I just don't know how valuable it was to be quite honest, looking, no, you, looking I, in hindsight. Well, thank you for sharing your story with me. I'm very honored and I'm sorry that you've gone through that and I can answer to the best of my ability and, and it's a really good example. Yes, that is what's happening. Psychiatry has a, and I have a lot of friends that are psychiatrists that do not condone this, what you've just described. They're very anti. There's a huge um, move amongst, thank goodness, amongst medical professionals. And so I train physicians, I train doctors and things. And there's, they, there's a huge move to get away from this philosophy of you know, the, the ankle, the Im chemical imbalance. It's been a narrative that has been sold for the last 40 years. And it's a very, it seemed like a very simple way of saying, you know, like, hey, you've got the broken ankle, you know, you've got a, you've got a brain disease, but it doesn't work like that because it's not simply fix the broken ankle or, you know, even nothing, not even that's, com that's complex too, but it's, it's not that kind of process. It's not, you can't even compare them. So therefore, because you're dealing with mind, which is first cause mind, drives everything so let me explain it like this and then we can kind of full circle back to to your example of your, with your daughter is that your mind is first cause your mind is about 90 to 99 percent of who you are your brain and your body and i've got some models here so for those of you that are listening i'm holding up a model of the brain and the body your brain and your body <clears throat> form a, somewhere between one and ten percent of who you are as a human so what's the other 90 to 99 percent it's your mind. And mind is a big term for you can say spirit, you can say soul, you can say, you know, all that stuff. And then everything that it does, all our intellectualizing and think, feel, choose, all that kind of stuff is all encapsulated in that concept of mind. And it is mind that is actually driving the brain and the body. So I always use this example because it's so simple. What's the difference between you, us three, having this conversation and the viewers and listeners and a dead person? 
What would be the difference? Uh, or mind. Or mind, right. Or mind. Because the dead person's brain is doing absolutely nothing. Their body, it's busy disintegrating, and so is the body, depending on how recently they died. And if there's no preservatives or anything in the brain, well, it's busy, it's busy dying, and it will disintegrate. But your brain and bodies, if we had to link you both up to QEEGs, which is the, which is the technology I use for my neuroscientific research, and EKGs on your heart, and whatever, there's massive amounts of different technology that we can link you to, and we're going to see responses in every piece of equipment. But the dead person, no response. So what is my point? What is that force that is driving that response in the brain and the body that we only see with a human who is alive? It's mind. And mind is one of those things that is considered the hard question of science, or they talk about consciousness and mind kind of synonymously, but it's the most simple question of science because what's enabling us to have this conversation? Our mind. Mm -hmm. I can listen to you. I can think and feel and choose about what you ask me. I can process and use the think, feel, choose to process, and I can... uh, the way that I can respond to you is by taking your words, which are sound waves, electromagnetic light waves, gravitational fields. I take that in with my mind, which is all of those things, these gravitational fields, photoelectric effect, all the stuff that Einstein has done work on, did work on, uh, quantum physicists have won Nobel Prizes on, gravitational field scientists have done for, won Nobel Prizes on. We know from all that physics stuff that humans that are alive have a an actual electromagnetic quantum gravitational field around them and through them and it's gone when you're dead and so in other words that field is enabling on a, that's the quant that's the physics level on a psychological level i am able to use my mind to psychologically interact with you to think feel choose and respond to you so mind has got these two dimensions the psychological thing that makes sense and the physics thing that does all the physics stuff and the two together are basically collapsing inside of the brain and the body. They are all around. So our experience of this conversation is coming into my entire brain and body and into yours. And it, as it hits the brain, as this energetic force this, these, um, hits the brain, we have a response. And the brain responds electromagnetically and chemically and neurochemically and genetically. And as that happens, the, the information is converted into little vibrations that are held inside proteins that group together to grow little trees. So we're growing trees in our brain of this conversation. So here I've got a little tree in a pot to to demonstrate this concept. So we're literally growing trees, and I have a green tree here, a nice healthy tree to represent the fact that this is a healthy, good conversation that we're having. This is a good experience. The experience is the three of us in the environment of this podcast discussing these mental health aspects as it relates to leadership and business and life, etc. And that's so that's the concept, and we're taking that and we're building that into the brain. With each word that I add, you are growing more proteins. So in other words, there's a physical product of our conversation that builds into the brain as these protein trees. The root system of the thought tree is what I'm saying, what you're saying. And then the branches are the interpretation because the way that each, that the two of you are interpreting what I'm saying is completely different to each other. No one, your thinking, feeling, and choosing is unique to you. So you're hearing the same stuff, but you're interpreting it differently. That unique interpretation is built in the branch section. So in your brain right now, at 400 billion actions per second, you are converting our conversation to trees in your brain. Every new thing I say is added into the root system and simultaneously you grow your interpretation. By the end of this conversation, there'll be probably about 2,000 
roots and branches of proteins vibrating with this content. And that is a change in the brain. That is, we've driven a neuroplastic change in the brain by our deep, intense conversation. As that's happening, the brain is then sending out instructions to the balance of the brain and the body, which is around about 37 to 100 trillion cells, to change the genetic code. In other words, this memory of this conversation is being concurrently stored in your gene code in every cell of your body, which is why we have body memory, which is why when people experience trauma, that there's that that jolts, that simple example I gave of my daughter when I mentioned going to that park, there was like, I could see that her face went slightly flushed. There was a physical response because it brought back the trauma of isolation, which was awful for a 24 year old to end 20, with my kids 22, 23, 24, 20, 27. And so there was a physical response because the memory had been stored inside of the body. When someone goes to war and they go through these talk and build a toxic experience. So here's a toxic tree now of the same thing so it's just this, the, the concept the proteins are misfolded the there is a whole imbalance of neurochemicals there's the toxic experience it could be COVID it could be war it could be an abuse it could be an argument it could be a divorce a, a bad business decision that's is built into your brain and that's the interpretation and then it's also a, it creates this creates a genetic change inside of our body and every cell of our body and in the gravitational fields of your mind, it, there's an imprint. And that imprint is a bit like, for want of a simple thing, if you look at the, at, at the screen, you'll see the little lines going for the podcast. That's kind of how I always explain what the, the memory is in the mind. So in other words, this experience of our conversations in three places, in your brain as a tree, in your gene code, in your, I mean, in your gene code of every one of the 37 to 100 trillion cells of your body and in a wave form in your brain so therefore there's this massive impact what is my point you can change and drive that at any point your brain and body are being driven by the mind without uh, mind without being alive none of this that i've described could happen it stops it goes away so with mind we're driving a response in the brain so therefore to say that depression is from a chemical imbalance which by the way has never been scientifically established. The science has been very misinterpreted. That's not actually what the, the truth is. Um, it's just a simple way of explaining it to the person who proposed this theory, who's a very, uh, very high, highly influent, was a very highly influential scientist, said this, this was always a theory. It was never proven. It's just become a very convenient way of explaining something that's very complex. But basically, the, the, the toxic experience will impact the brain and the body, as I've described. And if it's toxic, it's a toxic wave. This creates an immune response in the brain and the body, much like COVID. And that changes the whole endocrine system and it changes the cardiovascular system and it changes so in other words, there is an impact. You will have a shift in your neurochemistry, but that's not the cause. That's the response, and that's the difference. It's the response. It's not the cause. What is the cause? What you're going through. Now, that doesn't bar the fact that we have neurological disorders, that we have, and we need to make a distinction. People can have a traumatic brain injury, like a car accident. People can be born with Tourette's. It sounds like your daughter was born with that. We don't quite know what causes Tourette's. There's still a lot out there in trying to understand um, autism, Tourette's. So there are definite neurological um things that can happen and definite things that can happen in our genes that seem to be mutations that have passed through through the ages epigenetically, which is things that pass through the through the bloodline. And there's no cause, there's no 
there's, there's, I mean, there's no clear cause, so you must never blame, but you can have patterns that come out in families. But that doesn't mean that that person, if they have a neurological tick or if they have certain high-level sensitivities like someone with a high-functioning autism has where sound and touch and certain ways of connecting are, are different. It doesn't mean that they are um, have a brain disease, but there is that neurological component that potentially is contributing to, it's a contributing factor. But on top of that, put that aside, your daughter's gone through life. So put the Tourette's aside, there's been the reaction of her friends to maybe her her responses. Now that was an adverse, may, may have been an adverse, maybe she, I, I'm just guessing, maybe she was teased as a, as a young child at school because children are notoriously cruel when they're young and old. <laughs> and um, that may, that's a traumatic experience that was separate from the Tourette's. The Tourette's would have been maybe the cause, and I'm just making this up. I don't know if this happened. I'm just giving an example right. that, yes, there is the actual neurobiological issue that they've tried to, and they're still trying to study and understand and, and control the the sort of um, the different impacts that it can have. But at the same time, your daughter had a traumatic experience, or maybe there was just a friendship that ended, or maybe something, there's loss of someone in your family. Maybe a grandparent died, or a dog died. or So in other words, life still happens, regardless of what your neurological status is and that in itself is going to also go in the brain and cause changes in the brain and the and the body so that so the cause in this particular case of the change is not a chemical imbalance making your daughter depressed because now her friends are bullying her it is the bullying that's causing that 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 it's it's a toxic experience, and that toxic experience is manifesting as maybe withdrawing or um, bedwetting or um, high levels of anger or something like that. And those are all signals that something's wrong. And in addition to maybe the potential neurological things, the life stuff. And so we need to become thought detectives. We need to always be um, on on the understanding that. That we can't go and just simply say that um, it's very what the what the research has shown is that it's incredibly stigmatizing to actually say it's a brain disease. Um, it's much better. That's why I gave that story, that example of the of at the beginning going out for dinner. Right. It's way more stigmatizing. Yes, we say, oh, but you're talking about it. And you're able to express it. Yes, but it's the way you're expressing it. It's the language that's being used. That's what's stigmatizing. So both instances of that little dinner party example I gave were people talking about their mental health, but one was in a very boxed way where you've got a diagnosis and the other one was in a very open-ended way. So look at them as two gift boxes. The one gift box, both gift boxes, all gifts, when you get given a gift, it's always that initial, oh wow, this is so exciting. So if you have got major depression, extreme depression that you're battling with, and I said, you can't have it. If that's one of your, let me say that again. If you have a very strong warning signal of extreme depression and you go to a doctor and they tell you, you have clinical depression, there's an initial sense of relief. It's like a gift, but then what? Because it's empty. It's just looking at the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it's a box that you open and there's like no gift in it. But if you go and say, I'm being battling with my patterns in my life have changed and this and this and this and the doctors or the therapist or whatever say to you, okay, what's going on? What's your narrative? What's your, and start exploring beyond the symptoms and say, okay, the symptoms are telling us a story. What's the story? Let's maybe rather look at addressing and finding the root and reconceptualizing that, deconstructing and reconstructing. That is going to get you to a solution much more effectively than the other way. The other way, you're suppressing 
they, those drugs are a form of, I'm talking now psychotropics. I'm not talking about all medications. I'm talking about psychotropics, antidepressant, anti-anxiety mm-hmm. meds, et cetera, so, um, antipsychotics, benzodiazepines, that sort of thing, stimulants like Adderall. Those are not medications fixing anything. You've got to understand that versus a heart medication, which is fixing something in the heart. Those medi- psychotropics don't fix anything. Psychotropics numb. Mm-hmm. They numb the brain right. so that you don't feel the pain. But then the brain pays a price because it creates structural changes. So that's why people have such severe withdrawal when they go off those drugs. So they give you a temporary relief, but they're not a solution. And they, there's all the side effects that have to be managed. If it's not managed properly, it's a disaster. And then people think that they're worse off than before. So it's far better to have a narrative where we allow each other to express our emotions, to we wouldn't get to the point where we explode and, and need to go to a doctor for that, for the depression because you just lost your loved one. You would recognize, hey, I just need the support. I need some therapy. I need my friends to be here. I need to cry. I need to be sad. I don't need to be told that in three weeks I'm still depressed. I've got clinical depression. No, I'm sad right. because I've lost a loved one. I'm going to be sad for years, you know, and that's okay. It's yeah. how you move forward in that sadness and how you find peace in the chaos. That's Does that sort of answer that question? Yeah. <laughs> There's so many angles that you can go down. And yes, this. well. So I wanted to step into one of those. So you gave us the examples of kind of the two trees, the, you know, the green tree and the, the twisted black tree there. So what do you recommend for, I mean, can you move from the twisted black tree to the green tree? How do you grow more green trees and, and, and less of the distorted trees? I've got a little fly flying around here, so just excuse me. Is that part of your, is that part of the example? The fly. It's part of the example. It's coming out the toxic tree. Oh, there it's, we go. It's, okay. a, it's a signal. Okay. <laughs> it's a toxic little signal there. Okay. Now that's really the most important part because now we're talking mind management. Right. So the first part of mind management we've discussed extensively now is accept that it's okay to be messy. Right. So in order in, in order to convert from this to this. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're actually reconceptualizing, which means that you're not denying that this has happened, but that you are actually changing how it plays out into your future. Yeah. And that's what I said right at the beginning is that you can't change what's happened to you, but you can change what's in you. In other words, how it's going to impact your future. That conversion process is called mind management and requires a lot of self-regulation. So you needed to understand mind and brain difference, which mm-hmm. you've discussed. So if we talk about then mind management, it's then if my mind is this 99% driving force that's energizing and giving life and changing and growing things and, and how I experience it, let's look at mind then as being a messy mind and a wise mind. So we see from psychoneurobiology research that we wired for love, which means that we don't have anything in our brain or our body, and I'm holding up a model of a brain here, that are wired for depression and the emotions of depression or the emotions of of being traumatized or whatever we don't have parts of our brain and body for that because those threaten survival so what we have is an optimism bias in our mind and a wired for love nature inside of our brain and our body so everything about us is for survival so you don't have um anything that's faulty in your body your body's always trying to correct because and restore balance and 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 so when we have a mind something that we've experienced that's toxic and that's threatening all our mind, brain, body um, survival, we get these signals. So mind management is learning how to tune in and read the signals. And then once you read the signals, it's working backwards to, okay, those are the signals. So think of signals, smoke coming off this toxic tree. And then from there, you want to go from the signals 
to say, okay, what is, where is it coming from? What is this? The whole big picture. And then once you know, okay, it's coming from something toxic. I think it's something related to some kind of trigger I've had. And you maybe don't know, or maybe you do, or maybe you give it some broad name. Now, like a tree has got lots of branches and roots. As I said, this discussion, we're going to grow about 2000 by the end of this discussion, if not more. That, that, as every thought is made, those, those, 2000 are memories. So thoughts are made of memories. So memories are inside thoughts and memories are emotions, data, choices. All those are the, the events that happened. Everything is in this tree. At the bottom, it's the actual data. And this part is the interpretation mm. of how you experience that and how you see yourself and how it's playing out into your life. Because from this, we speak. So as I am speaking now, I'm not speaking from fresh air. I'm speaking from years of growing these about the brain in my, mm -hmm. into my brain. So I'm speaking from this. I can draw on this to, to talk when I write books, et cetera, whatever you, so whatever you're doing is coming from thoughts. So healthy produces healthy. Toxic is going to produce toxic. So healthy signals, great, grow them. Pay attention to them. It's a good way, good exercise. That's why things like, you know, focusing on what, what are, um, Happy memories or being, you know, gratitude exercises and that kind of thing are all health insurance policies. I always call them the thought, you know, like you have health insurance. Those are thought insurance policies. But when it comes to detoxing, you want to pay attention, as much attention, if not more, to those toxic signals because they're threatening survival in the same way that COVID will stimulate the immune system to fight against this, uh, because the, the COVID, because COVID's a protein that's abnormal and your immune system recognizes the threat. You need to see this toxic experience as a real live physical protein structure that is also causing the immune system of the body to respond. And so the immune system sends out T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes and macrophages to a, to a COVID virus or any bacterial virus. It also sends those same things out to a toxic thought. So that's why our body is so involved. And once the immune system is going, it then sends messages to the rest of the systems of the body. And that's why we've got to listen to the signals of our body. So we've got to listen, we've got to learn to tune into all these signals. So the system I've developed to train people how to tune into the signals and to track back to what's the thought and then to start unpacking your interpretations which then eventually take you down to your processing down to the origin story and then once you've done that deconstruction you can then say okay well that's what is going on now what do i want how do i want this to play out into my future what do i want it to look like uh, this has happened and maybe it's an abuse and it's affecting relationships but you want to have a relationship so now you understand why you maybe can't stay in a relationship because of this fear of, of being abused or lack of, whatever, all that stuff that's gone on with that. You can now say, okay, well, now I understand why I'm doing that. I can now, I want to be able to rebuild trust. So I can have a relationship. That's what I want for the future. So that process is reconceptualizing. It's not taking this and just replacing it with another thought. That's putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, literally. Or it's chopping the heads of the weeds, but the weeds will grow back unless you pull the weed out by the root. Mm -hmm. So the only way you can deal with your stuff is by literally deconstructing and reconstructing. So it's a whole process. So the system I developed to do this is called the NeuroCycle, initially called the five-step process, developed 38 years ago based on a theory, based on heavy application in a clinical sense. I practiced for clinically for as a clinical neuroscientist and communication pathologist for nearly 25 years. I've been doing research for 38, and I still do research. In this latest book, I've got some of my clinical trials summarized and images and 
because when you've got science, it just gives you data. It gives you evidence to help convince you because right. it's good that we have data. Okay, so the neurocycle then is going from, it's a five-step process. It's not a technique. It's not a quick fix thing. It's something that you have to do, let me say, right up front consistently to get the benefit and consistently in a certain pattern because I have studied over the years what does it mean to grow a thought with memories how what are the stages involved and once it's grown in the brain and it's having all this impact in your DNA and so on how do you get rid of it how do you do the question that you asked earlier on so what's this the, the building process and what's the deconstruction process or the breaking down process and so the neurocycle is based on that applied in multiplicity of different contexts and refined over the years now as a scientist the story is never written so I, con I will continue to do research but I say that to say that we are all scientists humans are scientists. You're a scientist right at the moment because you don't know what I'm going to say next. You don't know what's going to happen after this podcast. You don't know who's going to trigger you maybe in, in a text or an email or in a conversation. So in other words, you may go into a situation that triggers you and in a messy way, you respond in a messy way, but then you can manage that. How? By looking at your signals. So it's okay to get irritated. It's not okay to stay irritated. So the, the signal would be the irritation. So you go from here. I'm going to give you a simple example. You go from this conversation and you both open your emails and someone sends you an email that makes you both like mad. Like why? Whatever. I don't know what it is, but it's something that really triggers you both and you're getting really worked up and getting mad and saying all kinds of things and oops, you disappeared. Oh, we're still here. We're still here. Can you see us? Okay, I can't see. No, I can't see you. But can you see me? Yeah, and it's yeah. still rec and it's okay. still recording. So we're that's good. fine. Yeah. Okay. It may okay, be just be adjusting for your speed. It's okay. It's still getting recorded. It's all good. Yeah. Okay, that's the main thing. Okay, so essentially, then the signals would be that you would you would first of all look at the signals. The, the, so obviously, this this incident is an instant inc incident. So it's like a it's. You, the, you, the emails, the experience, you read it, you processed it, and it built into your brain, and you've got a toxic tree in your brain. And so it's this, you've got this instant toxic tree. This would be different from something that's maybe happened years ago, which is an established trauma, but the principle's operating on the same. So this is generating signals. What are your signals? What are your emotions? Irritation, frustration, anger, whatever. What are your behaviors? Maybe you throw something around the room. Maybe you say, I'm going to, you, you make a statement of something that you're going to do that you really don't want to do. Uh, maybe your perspective is, that's the third area that you'd look at is your perspective is, oh, this person's always doing this. They so blah, blah, blah. So you've got like maybe a very negative perspective towards that person. And as you're going through all these, these signals, the emotions, the behaviors, the perspective, you start feeling your heart's palpitating, your face has gone red, your shoulders are tense. So there's a response in your body. So what you want to do with the neurocycle is you want to tune into those signals. You want to self-regulate. We can do this every 10 seconds, which means that while we're awake, you're not going to time yourself. What it means is that from the moment you open your eyes till the moment you go to sleep, you are able to monitor your reactions, your responses. Reaction is, 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 Sort of, you don't want reactions, you want responses. Responses are, you know, you're controlling them. And so as the, that's the first level to tune to the signal. And then from the signal, you would go to, okay, I'm having these signals. What does it mean? And then you can, you look at the, you start gathering awareness of what the detail is. Why have I responded so strongly to this email? For example, why am I having this strong response in my body? In other words, you start, gathering awareness of it. So what are these, get more detail, you know, get more detail about, so gathering awareness is then from, from that gathering, from the signals you tune in, so you identify the tree, you see it's a response to this 
person sending you this email and that's the size of the response means that this is not the first time something like this has happened. So that pops up. This this person is the toxic tree and what they do. And so from the signals, you'd start going and gathering awareness of your interpretation of this data, of this email. So why am I having the strong response? There's something going on. What am I thinking, feeling, and choosing about this person and this kind of situation? And then you look at your processing, tracking down to the roots. You say, this is always happening. This is a consistent pattern. This happens. And you start finding the origin story and once you find the origin story then you start changing you start reconceptualizing mm -hmm. but the first step was to gather awareness the second step is then once you've gathered think of gathering each of these interpretations treat them like an apple and think of an that you're picking an apple off this tree but this is a very rotten apple rotten tree and you've got your basket and you're gathering the apples so this is and these i know i'm emphasizing points here but we we are embracing something to control it because this can't go on maybe in this business of yours you can't keep having this person sending these emails or going on about this the content of the email is more significant than the email it's the content i'm just using this example mm -hmm. or it could be that there is that abuse that happened in childhood and it, you, you keep having these messed up relationships, which is the other example I gave. So this could be either the email example or this could be a more established trauma. Okay. And both of them are generating signals. So as you go through the neurocycle, you are gathering from the signals, you're gathering awareness, picking apples and putting them in your basket. When you go and pick apples in, a, in an orchard, you don't just go stand under the tree and shake the tree and all the apples fall on your head. You very deliberately and intentionally stand back and observe, I want that apple, I want that apple, I want... You're quite intentional and deliberate about the apples. You don't let them overwhelm. And that's the same thing when you're doing trying to deal with something. You don't want to be overwhelmed. You want to be very controlled. You're going to direct the process because your your um your your instinct, um not your not your instinct, your messy mind, sorry, your messy mind wants to just dive in and make a mess and experiment. It just do everything. But your wise mind saying, okay, just cool down a bit. Just cool down. Your wired for love optimism bias is saying there's an imbalance here. Let's just balance between the messiness and the wiseness. So your wise mind saying, pick the apple, don't shake the apple tree. Then you reflect on what you've picked. And you do this just in a couple of minutes. And you start asking, answering, discussing to start seeing the why behind the interpretation, which is then taking you down the tree. Then you do two steps of writing. One, which is basically a brain dump called a metacog, where you're really putting the two sides of the brain together and changing energy flow and blood flow. There's a whole chart in this, in this book that teaches you what's happening at each stage in your mind, brain and body. And then the fourth stage is like a little action that you take. Now you do these five steps in um, around five to 15 minutes a day over 21 days. And then you do the same five steps for five to seven minutes a day over another 42. And these numbers are very significant. Now that's if it's the long-term trauma. If it was the instant irritation of the email thing, um, of the example I gave you, you could do those five steps in between the two of you in, you know, together or on your own in a minute or two minutes. So you can do them really quickly with five, you know, 10, 50 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever, you can do them pretty quickly. So it gives you an instant level of control over the situation and you start seeing perspective. And if you don't get see it yet, you can do another little cycle. So in the moment by moment of the day, you can manage the little things by doing repeated cycles because it's driving how your mind works through your brain, keeping your brain in a healthy state so that you can get wisdom, that you can get deep, clear thinking to solve the problem or to solve it as best you can. When it's a deep-seated trauma that has changed, that's creating a long-term pattern in your life, and we've all got these, 
um, and we're all going to get them. And because life is filled with traumas, um, you need to spend, for two change to happen, you need to spend 63 days at least, which is nine weeks. It's around about nine weeks. The first 21 days is where, as you go through these, systematically through these five steps, you're going to be deconstructing and breaking it down. What we see from neuroscience is that when you bring something into the conscious mind, when you become, when you recognize you have the autonomy to become aware of something, you start weakening these protein bonds in the brain. They become very malleable. So certain scientists and neuroscientists have shown that with autonomy and awareness comes a weakening of the physical nature. In other words, the brain is primed to change because the brain's always changing. But you're now directing the change because you are you are choosing the, the apple tree in the apple orchard that you're going to be picking. So you, because of the signals it's sending. So there's a lot of autonomy, independence, control, agency, which immediately shifts you into a more resilient state. Mm-hmm. So that you feel like you've got more, you, you don't have the solutions yet. You're still crying. You're still depressed. You're still whatever. That's okay. It's okay to be that messiness because the messiness is part of that experimental nature that we have. We're going to make the mistake, but we're going to fix it and repair it. We're going to get irritated with the email, but we're going to pull back and repair it. And then essentially you're moving through. Um, so, so once you have em- embraced and uh, once you have, um, once you've got gathered awareness and done, gone through the five steps over the 21 days, this is weakened and weakened and weakened and weakened and weakened. And as it's weakening, energy is never lost in the brain and the body or in the universe. It's transferred. So the energy holding these protein bonds together and the vibrations, that energy is changed it's transformed it's reconstructed into a healthy new tree now note the size it's small it's small after 21 days you have something new that is a glimmer of hope of how you're going to handle this person in your in your let's keep sending you these emails with this content or how you're going to handle this relational issue going to the future that i want to be able to have relate but it's still not strong enough to compete with all the other thoughts that you have because you've been building thoughts in response to experiences since a certain age in the womb. So there's trillions of these trees in your unconscious mind. So you have to then do something. You have to grow this thing. It, it needs to get stronger root system and stronger branches. You need more insight. You need to develop this more. And that's what the extra 42 days take. So if you spend, spend five minutes a day going through the five steps, you will eventually grow this into this. Yeah. And, and that now is something that has the power that when you're in that situation and that person sends you that email and, and that email discussion that I'm having could have turned into, Hey, we have to do a 63 day cycle because this person's been with the company or I've known this person for, you know, for a few months and this is a consistent pattern that's happening. So we have to find the root cause. It may take you six, it'll take you 63 days for you to manage your mind to find the solution to get the wisdom to deal with it. Or if it's a trauma of relationships, you, you're going to need those those 63 days, those extra 42 to, to grow this. Then you're in that situation where you're in a new relationship or that email comes again or you have live contact with that person. And instead of this, which is now basically this, instead of this regrowing, because there's always that option, you can always choose to focus back on how you used to think. Or you can this, when you're triggered, or you can, this will come up first if it's like this. If this, if this is only like this, the chance of it, of the toxic one regrowing is very, very strong. And then there's a lot of frustration. Whereas this can be triggered and then this is then the way that you'll function. So, I mean, that's like a quick walkthrough. I have an app that literally is me giving you therapy that walks you through this process. And, and so there's the 63 day cycle. There's de-escalation techniques. There's a whole lot of mini neurocycles for in those in the moment things. Like maybe you find yourself people pleasing or the 
email example or your kids suddenly have anxiety and you need to help them on the spot or you're having a panic attack. So there's the on-the-spot neurocycles that you can do in the moment. But if those in-the-moment neurocycles are being needed a lot, that's a pattern. As soon as you have a pattern, you need to make the decision to find a 60, to, to start a 63-day cycle in your life. And that should be a lifestyle. People are dying from preventable lifestyle issues. So this is a way of you getting rid of those toxic thoughts. If you keep these, they increase your vulnerability to disease by 75 to 98% over time. Not straight away, but your vulnerability is changing. So therefore, you're more vulnerable. So they need to be managed. They can't stay there. They're threatening the balance. Your immune system is going crazy. Your body's getting sicker. Your mind is battling more. It's invading other parts of your life. We have to fix these. But we also have to build good lifestyle things into our life. And that's good diet plans, good exercise routines, good work routines, not making work a priority over spending time with yourself and leisure and that kind of stuff. So I also address that in both the book and the app on how to use the neurocycle to detox established trauma, immediate trauma, long-term toxic habits, and then forming new healthy habits. And then I also talk finally about brain building, which is one of the most powerful mental health resilience tools out there, where you simply use the neurocycle to build new information into your brain, healthy new thoughts that create lattices, like insurance policies, basically, in your brain to help you through tough times. So there's, there's a big picture walkthrough and us gone over time here sorry and no, i've got another well, interview so, coming up so much <laughs> no, that was, yeah that was a wealth of information yeah. long answers i'm sorry i have long answers <laughs> what i appreciate great, yeah. but this is not stuff you can explain in just right. a one no, 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 word no, no. Yeah, and yeah. I, my takeaway is you know it's, there's no quick fix no so. well that's that's what i wanted to say i mean you know spending that time to explain yeah i mean it makes sense mm-hmm. how our brain works that way but now doing the work i started going okay yeah I, the embracing thing I can do, but man, steps two and three of the reflecting and the writing and doing what you're talking about, I'm like, well, okay, this is this seems a little intimidating, but that's what we turn to you for, right? That's where we can get the book, we can get the app. And but I've given you the system. The, that's right. 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 Exactly. It's, it's, it's amazing stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I agree. I don't know. And I'll, it works. I mean, I've shown scientifically when you do this, you're going to get an 81% handle on your basically your day-to-day life and the traumas that are the emotions and that, that are getting out of control, you're going to get that 81% increased agency um, in your life, which that's what brings people a sense of peace in the midst of chaos. And that's success. When you can have m- peace in the midst of chaos, you can run a business, you can solve those crises, you can keep going and keep moving forward. So Good stuff. Yes, the, excellent. The book is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, the latest book by uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Mm-hmm. How can people find out Obviously, the book can be bought anywhere, but how can people connect with you, connect with the app specifically? Absolutely. Well, the app's available on Google and iTunes. It's always going through revamps. We're just about to do another revamp. So we're always making it more. It's very organic, and there's always new stuff being added. Basic format's the same. Um, so that's Neurocycle at iTunes and Google Play. My podcast is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, where I teach a lot of these concepts broken down into, you know, different categories and so on. And then my Instagram handle, or my, all my social media handles are Dr. Caroline Leaf. We'll yes. have all those links mm-hmm. on the show notes. Dr. Leaf, it's been such an honor to have you on mm-hmm. the show. I, I mean, I know I'm, I just, my brain's on overdrive right now. So <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate the wealth of knowledge. Yes. Uh, Matt, any closing yeah, thoughts? Yeah, no, I appreciate Leaf? it as well. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for helping us walk through that. And I think I know that'll help. Uh, you know, we, we like to spread good word and spread the good word and kind of help people understand different parts of life and how to, how to navigate them. So thank you for being a part of that uh, process for us. We certainly appreciate that. 
Thanks My pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me a lot of time to answer those questions. You ask great questions. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.